Hello and welcome to the Music Survival Guide, the independent musician's guide for how to survive in the music industry. My name's Phil, a mixing engineer. So, this week on the podcast, I have an interview with John, who runs the Forge Music Group. If you've been anywhere around the New Ever Classic Rock Group or any sort of modern rock area, it's hard to miss them. They've got a big presence on the scene, but I think with good reason. John has a fountain of knowledge to share with you all about being in a band, about promotion, about how to push yourself forward, keeping goals, all sorts of things. I'm going to stop wittering on and let him tell you about it. So on we go with the episode. So today on the podcast, I'm joined by Craig, who is the, I'm going to say the owner, but we may come to that, of Forge Music Group. How are you? I'm fine, Phil. Yourself? I'm very well. Yes. It's actually John, my name. Um, <laughs> it's, ba- it's back to Yes. I kind of realised that as soon yeah, as I said it. I, I put it, but yeah, but to be fair, that's because I uh, reversed my name on social media. And intentionally, I hasten to add, so more people than not call me Craig, but my actual name is John. <laughs> I've learned something. I've learned something today. John, hello. Yeah, <laughs> right, buddy. <laughs> so my first question for you, as I tend to do, is from a random question generator. And my random question for you this week is, what's the last book that you gave up on and stopped reading? Do you know what? I don't think I ever have. I'm an avid, I'm an avid reader. Um, I would say that there's books that I've finished that I didn't really enjoy and wish I hadn't read, but there's just something in me that won't allow me to quit. Yeah, I can't actually... Th- and and honestly, even books that I say I, I don't enjoy, there's bits of them, bit, there's information in them that I do like, so I tend not to... I tend never to give up, and I, I can't remember. Maybe it's school, but that's a long time ago for me. But no, I always, I always finish them. There's one book that I've given up on, one, and I felt so bad about it. And it was the picture of Dorian Gray. I could not stand it. It was so boring. Was it? But yeah, no, I, oh, just interminable. Anyway, that, <laughs> that's that's by the by. That's by the by. Uh, so my first real question for you is: How did you get into music? How did you get into the music that you now enjoy? Um. Obviously, it started seeing bands, listening to bands when I was in my formative years. So I grew up, um, and in my mum and dad's house, my dad was always listening to country music. So it was like Hank Williams, Hank Snow, Jim Reeves, things like that. So I kind of always listened to that. My mum tended to listen to like radio shows, so it'd be like Junior Choice and a Saturday morning and BBC Radio 1 and things like that. So I tended to just pick up, but I never paid any attention to it. Really, it was just I liked it, but it wasn't a thing. Um, and then when I got to about 12, I think it was, I had a, I had three cousins that were all a bit older than me, but the eldest one was five years older than me. Um, so at that time, he was 17 working. He got himself a stereo and he started bringing in records. And, you know, it was Led Zeppelin. It was Black Sabbath. It was Jethro Tull, Uriah Heep. And then the main band that got me, hooked me right at the start was The Who. And when I started listening to that, that's when, you know, all my friends at school were talking about the glam bands and sort of like Bay City Rollers and stuff like that. But I was always like into the heavier stuff. So I had this mix of country music and, uh, which I still love and, um, the heavy stuff. And then once I got to sort of like 16, when I could, I was working myself and I could actually buy music. That was just in 77. So that's when punk was out. So I started going to see, the Sex Pistols and Sham 69, uh, you know, all, the, all those kind of bands as well. But I always had a big, I always maintained, 
maintained that love for um, like Rainbow. Rainbow was the first band that I discovered for myself that I just thought were absolutely fantastic. Uh, and, and that's kind of how it. And then in 1978, I started singing in a band with three mates. We got a band together. Quite funny, actually, because two of them were into ACDC and status quo and two years were punk. So we used to do two sets, one with <laughs> punk music and one with ACDC and status quo. It must have blown people's minds. But um, And then all the way through the 80s, I was in originals bands. So original rock bands and I quit in... 2000, no, sorry, 1990, when I moved to England and I, I gave up on it all then. You decided enough was enough with, with music? Well, it was just, it was, I moved down and I didn't really know anybody down here and there was so much, so many other things to do with work and stuff like that and I played rugby league as well when I was down so there was, I just didn't have the time for it anymore. I mean, I've, I've got to ask, since you've mentioned seeing bands like the Sex Pistols and that these are bands that I'd have, I'd have loved to have seen <laughs> at the time, what's, what, in your opinion, is the best gig that you have ever been to? Oh. <laughs> Might be a hard question. Do you know what? I, I couldn't... The first band I ever went to see live takes a bit of beating, and that was Thin Lizzy. And, oh. And they, they play... It was a live and dangerous tour. 1978, um, the Apollo Glasgow, which was the best venue I've ever been to in my life. The atmosphere was amazing. And I think that would probably be hard to beat. But, one, but they're all good for different reasons, you know. I mean, one of my favourite bands now, and I've seen them live, and you'll laugh at me, I'm quite sure, but it's the script. But they, it's the atmosphere they create, and they're, musically they're fantastic, you know, live. So I don't think, I think they, I've only ever been to one gig and walked out of it, and that was when I went to see Delamitri uh, in the mid-80s, and I expected them to be good, but I just found that, whether it was me or whether it was them, I don't know, or a bit of both, but they were just boring. So they were the only one that I didn't actually enjoy. Yeah, it was amazing going to see the likes of The Damned, um, going to see The Stranglers. Actually, The Stranglers were something else. It was after they'd been banned for like a year in Britain. And they had everybody there watching them to make sure they never put a foot wrong. And, then, and they, so they brought on a stripper for Nice and Sleazy <laughs> with all the counsellors. It was hilarious. Oh, it was different times. It was fantastic times, really. Yeah, I mean... Oh, I'd, I'd have loved to have seen... Th so my mum's seen Thin Lizzy. She saw Thin Lizzy at the time. She's also seen Queen. And those are two bands that I'd have I'd have killed to have seen live. I never saw Queen, actually. As much as I liked them, I never saw them live. But um, I also saw Phil Lynott and his last band, Grand Slam, and they were amazing live as well. So how did Forge Music Group come into being? Or was that was it something else first? Or it was What actually happened was I had been in the military reserve forces for quite a period of time sort of like 16 years everything that I did for the, the, the last 16 years was with the Army Cadet Force so I came out in 2000, summer of 2018 when I moved over from West Yorkshire to Liverpool and it was kind of like I was looking for something else to do because I used to, that used to take up so much of my time it was amazing uh, how much time it took and I discovered on Facebook that a guy that had been in bands with me up in air in Scotland where I come from in the early 80s, a guy called Brian, who had moved to Manchester, and he was actually in a band, and the band were called Mouth in the South. And, um, you know, I started paying attention, you know, chatting to him, listening to the music, I liked the music. But I noticed that they never seemed to be gigging anywhere, and I couldn't understand it when, to my ears, they sounded like a good band. So I kind of asked him why he struggled, and he said, and his first words to me were, why do you want to help? And so that's where it started. So in order to give myself a bit of legitimacy 
for the sake of uh, Mouth in the South, who are now called Fiefdom, by the way. Same band, but it's just a, a, re- a rename. So basically, I started, and so I created Forge AMP, which was Artist Management and Promotions. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. When I first started, well, yeah, just because it was AMP, and I thought it sounded good for a music thing, but I had to, I got the AMP idea first, and then had to try and create something that fitted around it. But that's where Forge AMP came. It was to try and give legitimacy to, for the sake of the guys, really. And then another band approached Piers, who's a singer, with um, Fiefdom Now, um, and said, you know, we're looking for a manager. So he told them to talk to me. And the next thing I knew, I had two bands. Then I had three. Then I had four that was one. And then it was five. And then it got ridiculous. But it was only really um, a year ago. Um, yeah, just over a year ago when lockdown came. Because before that, I was a freelance salesman. Um, so selling German and Italian kitchens to uh, kitchen retailers. And you can imagine what happened when lockdown came and then, you know, it was just devastating. So there was nothing. So I, I decided to put my time into the music because the music had always just been a, um, a hobby, a time-consuming hobby, but a hobby. And it was one of those sort of things where I couldn't do anything for about six weeks. So I found that the more I put into the music, the more I was getting out of it and the more opportunities there were. So I decided after talking to my partner, Nikki, and she sort of, she, um, sort of like helped me to come to the decision, which was, look, you know what, let's give this a go. Let's go full time on it. And so in order to give it a legitimacy, I created the Forge Music Group as that's my, I'm a sole trader. So that's the umbrella company. And from that, you have Forge AMP, Forge Ahead Initiative, um, Forge and Fire Promotions, uh, and obviously anything else that we bring out. So it's it's the actual trading arm. The rest are just market names, really. So what what do the various subgroups, for, for want of a better phrase, what do they do? What, how do they differ from each other? Well, for JMP are the original. So what they are is a management company. Basically, the bands that are signed to us, which is about 25 of them that we work with, and they that's where we actually work closely with them and manage them and promote them. The Forge Ahead Initiative is a young band mentoring program. So it's where we decided, myself and some colleagues that's within the group, decided to try and give something back to young musicians. And we don't charge them for it. So basically we try and steer them through the pitfalls uh, that can become a problem for any band, but especially for young bands, and just try and help them get up the ladder. And that runs for a year. Um, so this is the first one just started the 1st of April so it's it's basically a mentoring program then Forge and Fire Promotions is the promotions arm for the Forge Music Group so it actually initially started not because I wanted to become a promoter but simply because I kept coming up against brick walls with the bands that I had at the time and they were either and if they were given a chance they were either getting hardly any money or they were travelling all over the country and playing to nobody because a lot of these promoters were very amateur, didn't care, and the better ones weren't really giving us a chance at the time. So I kind of went into it just because I thought nobody's going to care about my bands more than I do. So if I start my own promotions arm, then we can be in control of every aspect of it. And that that's really what it was. It was kind of reluctantly done, but 
it was a good thing that we did. And then, of course, we just started. Then the lockdown came. So, but we've got lots in the we've got lots going just now. But then we've also got the Scouse and the Scott, which you've been on. I have, um, which myself and Ian. But that's that's part of this next gen project, next gen rock project that we've got going. You know, helping bands. So it's kind of part of Forge Ahead as well. And then obviously I've got my radio show, Forge um, Hot from the Forge, which again showcases our bands plus other grassroots, which again is a next gen thing. And now I'm going to give you a scoop. can tell you that we are going to start our own record label as well. Oh, oh wow. I mean, that's the next logical step. So Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's, it's kind of at the very formative stages, but it's, it's going to be for our bands. You know, we're not using it for any other bands. It's, it's, again, it's a bit like Falls and Fire. It's where I think we can add value to our own bands and offer them a service that other people won't do. And certainly on the market and promotion side of it as well. So, yeah, so that's what we are going to be doing. Exciting. I've, I mean, I've got, I've got to ask. So you, in 2018, you went from enjoying music, sure, but not really having much to do with uh, sort of bands and touring and promotions and all that to this, <laughs> which is quite a long way to come in three years or so. Has it been a, a steep learning curve or how has that been like? It was horrendous to start with. Much as I enjoyed it, it you know, my background, um, my full-time employment was nearly always in sales and marketing. So I knew how to find customers. I knew how to, you know, approach people. I knew how to do all of that. But the one thing that I, first of all, I didn't really know what managers should have been doing because what I found out was that when you're trying to get bands gigs, that's more a booker's job. So initially, I was lucky because the bands that I was working with were at a lower level, so they could and I could uh, take my time to try and learn it. But I always remember, again, peers from Fiefdom saying to me right at the start, the one thing you've got to understand, John, is, is that this industry isn't like the industries you're used to. He said there's a lot of egos out there. There's a lot of self-serving people there's a lot of people living off the back of people's dreams, which is true because you don't really get that, you know, when you've got a product you're selling normally. So it kind of made me realise that, you know, it is a different market. It took me, probably took me nine months to a year to actually get to grips with that aspect. And then the hardest bit is finding out the people you shouldn't be dealing with and finding the people you should. And I'm lucky now that I've got well, it wasn't just luck. It was a lot. Of it was because of the messages I was putting out, and they liked them. And I was watching what they were saying, and I liked what they were saying. So there's a network of us now that kind of work together to try and um, benefit the bands. One thing we all have is we're all fans of music. We're all music fans. None of us are ever going to get rich off of doing this. I'll tell you that now. You know, it's no chance. And that's not even a, that's not even an aspect for me. It is just literally about trying to do the best we can for the bands to try and keep them away from the cuckoos in the nest, the ones who live off of, who live off their dreams. And I'll be that up front. They do, and they get away with it. And they've been getting away with it for years, well, decades, really. But it's that's what it's all about. And, and um, yeah, it has been a steep learning curve, and I've learned more in the last year since going full-time because... When it's your job and it's, you know, a lot of hours, seven days a week, really, 
and especially during lockdown, you know, what else was there to do? So, you know, I've learned such a lot and I've made a lot of good contacts and I've discovered a lot of good stuff and we're constantly shaping what we're doing. So yeah, it was it was a steep learning curve, but I don't regret any of it, even the mistakes. I mean that's that's something where you and I very much are, I guess, in alignment that to me the entire reason I mix at all and the entire reason that, for example, this podcast exists and things like that is to serve people in bands and to help them get ahead and make progress, whatever that looks like for them. And yeah, it should, that's kind of my, my real main aim, to be honest. And that's kind of what I enjoy. And that does come out of a love of the music that I work with and the music that I listen to as well. I can't think of anything. Uh, I turned 60 yesterday, so I've been around for a while. And uh, I can't think of anything that can do as much for your soul, your psyche, as music can. You know, that feeling. And I think that, I'm starting to sound dead philosophical here, I'm scaring myself. And I'd just like to hasten to add, I've not been drinking either. <laughs> so, um, so, but yeah, it's just that, isn't it? It's like being in an, a venue Oh, you know, I've, I've done it. I've been up on the stage. I've, I've been stood at the back of the, the hall. I've been stood at the front. And there's just nothing like it. And, you know, even with me with my radio show, when bands send me their new tracks and I, and I hear them and I play them. I mean, I listen to my own show twice a week because I love the music. You know, I, even, I can even put up with my own voice just to hear the music again. And that's just something that I think, you, you know, you can't, you can't put a price on that, really. So... When it comes to the the management side of things, do you approach bands or do they approach you for management? How does that kind of thing work? There's been very few bands that I've approached, mainly because probably it was like I lacked the confidence that I would go to them. There was a couple that I actively pursued by being supportive of them, if you like you know, what what they were putting out there and they noticed it. <clears throat> but I can't um but I can't think of anybody that I actively went after. It's kinda happened the other way because they've seen what I've been doing. They've seen that the stuff that I put out in social media. They see that especially in the last year, everything I've put out has been positive, positive, positive. And also being honest with you, one of the things they know about me as is that I I, I don't lie. And if they come to me and say, can you get us up to this stage? I'll say no. You know, do you know the people that run? And if I don't know them, I'll just say no. Can you guarantee? I can't guarantee anything other than I will do all my best to help you to get to where you want to be. And so therefore, they, they like that. And the other thing that some of them that's joined me in the last six months is they like the fact that I quite openly back bands. So if I find people out there in the industry that are quite clearly ripping people off or not being up front. I will name and shame them. I've I've seen your Facebook posts about such things, yes. <laughs> and, and and to be fair, that was for no reason other than I just can't stand that kind of thing anyway. But um, So it was never a ploy, but I've had some bands come to me and say, do you know what, just a simple fact that you'll stand up and say it, you know, and even if, it, even if these people are connected and behind the scenes are saying don't use any of his bands, they're still willing to come with me because they know that I will find a way of getting around just about anything. Determined, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, well, one of my favourite stories, I mean, whether you're 
believer in Christ or anything like that or whether you don't or you just know the story but one of my favourite stories in the, is in the Bible when you're talking about books and it's the bit where they're trying to get a cripple some people are trying to get a crippled guy to see Jesus because they think that if Jesus touches him he's going to be cured so they can't get in the front door because of the queues they can't get in the back door because of the queues they couldn't even get him in the window so they climbed up onto the roof dug a hole in the roof and lowered them down in front of them and I, that's my approach just at any cost getting to the goal yeah really. yeah and, and that's it if, if I believe in something enough then I'll I'll do what I can to to get around that so therefore it's I know it's a long winded answer but it's a way of just me saying to people if a band comes to me I first of all I'll listen to them, but we need to share the same ideas. We need to. I need to like their music because if I don't like their music, my heart's not in it, and I just say no to them. But they all, I also need to be clear in what they want, and they need to be clear in what I'm able to do. But I'm always a hundred percent truthful in what I can and can't do. So, if if a band were listening to this podcast and they were liking what you were saying and they were interested in, let's say, interested in the idea of working with you, you wouldn't kind of be out and out saying no if they approached you from this? There's been a lot of bands that I've said no to because either I didn't like their music or I didn't feel I could help them. You know, because that, that's another thing. If it's a genre I don't know anything about, I don't have connections in, uh, then there's no point in me taking them on. There'll be better people out there. But there are plenty of bands that I talk to regularly that aren't our bands who I help guide, um, give them advice. They'll come to me about advice you know, because they know they are not, I'm not going to work with them, but they, they trust me enough to to run ideas past me. So, yeah, I'll help anybody. I mean, that's why we do the Scouts and the Scott and, you know, for that reason. But, uh, yeah, even if a band doesn't want management, but of an idea or, you know, I'm constantly getting things sent to me, what do you think of this song or what do you think of that song? And the one thing I would say to anybody last is I'm brutally honest. <laughs> so if you hear things like it sounds like it's been mixed with a Kenwood chef, then um, <laughs> or the sound quality is like having your head stuck up a dead bear's rear end you know that's kind of I will say things like that unfortunately but then I'm always constructive as well because I'll say that's a great song but it needs this doing or it needs that doing and if I think something's right is is good but I can't quite get it I'll also share it with other people that I trust and let them have a listen to it because there's some bands that we work with that are it's my colleagues that work with them on a day to day basis because I think they're a better fit. So if a band were starting fresh today, they have got together and they've had a few rehearsals and they've got some songs, what kinds of things do you think that they should do in order to promote themselves and to get out there and get the ball rolling? Well, first of all, they've got to understand that this is called the music business for a reason. It's a business. You know, no matter whether they think they're the best things to slice bread, it's what you do with it. So the first things first is make sure that if you're going to be approaching bookers, promoters, because let's face it, it's gigs you want to start with, um, then you do it in a professional way. You know, you find out who you want to go to and you write an EPK, an electronic press kit. Make sure that's interesting as well. Don't go for the generic rubbish that we hear all the, that I get all the time. It's It's boring. You know, Find it, really work out who you are as a band. Work out who your potential audience are. And don't just say everybody. You know, if you think, 
uh, we're this type of band and I think these big bands fans might like us then look at how they package things look at how how they target people and and emulate it you know put things out make sure you've got the image right you know make sure you know who you are and who your target audience is and then make sure you do everything to to hit those you know to get them and the, to reach them in the way that they need to be reached so I'll give you an example there's no point being in TikTok if you're playing Southern rock and your target audience is 55-year-old men and upwards, don't go on TikTok. Facebook's the one for that, even with all that's problems. So that's just an example, you know what I mean? But if you're a young or you're a hip band that's got a great image and you, and you think your music can, is, is going to be there for the 15-year-olds and upwards, then, then TikTok is a way. But then again, you need to understand what you're doing with that. So it's all about how you package things. But first and foremost, sorry, first and foremost, it's about making sure the product you have is right. Does your music sound good? Is it exciting? Yeah, and that's that's the difficult bit, isn't it? Yeah, that is. It's all about music because if the music's rubbish, you know, there's not many really bad bands make it. You know, there's a few over the years, but that's with marketing. But you really need to concentrate on the music and don't be in a rush to just go out and gig. You know, make sure you've got the show. Make sure you you only need thirty minutes to start with, maybe forty at the most, and make sure that you know if you've been playing for two or three years and you've not done a gig yet, make sure that you've got six to eight really the best songs that you've got. Don't just play the right the very first one you wrote because you've wrote the very first one. If the new songs are better, just think about it from a perspective of the customer's perspective. What is the customer going to think of that? What is the person stood in front of you looking back at you going to think about that? And that's that's the approach I would say. But the main thing is, is always be professional. You should see some of the emails that I get. Yo, mate, uh, I think we're a really good band that would like to work with you. You know, that's that's not the way to go. You know, send me something that I can go, I can click on and go, yep, yeah, there's the social media links. There's their music. There's some MP3s if, if they've not even got them out on Spotify. There's some recordings, you know, just think about it. Don't, you know, don't just, don't be, don't be stupid about it. And the other, the other thing I always think when it comes to writing a, a professional email is, especially if you're writing to, say, a potential venue who you could play at, is you want to make everything as easy as humanly possible to find. So your music needs to be easy to find and, and your photos need to be easy to find and everything. It doesn't need to be kind of hidden away. Everybody's busy nowadays. You know, so anybody that thinks, oh, it's just they've been lazy, it's nothing to do with that. We're really, really busy people. Or anyway, the people that are good at it are really busy. If you can get straight through to people, then you start to wonder, or you should be wondering what you're doing. But um, we're all busy people, so if you make it easy for us, so I can just get it. I mean, there was one band, you know, in the last six, we signed in the last six months, it's Circus 66. And they sent me an email, properly worded, and there was a document on there, and when I clicked, and it just went, videos, clicked on it, the videos were there. Electronic press kit, um, clicked on that, it was a video of them talking about their band, the individuals, the band themselves, you know, what it meant to them. Yeah, another one which was the to the, the Spotify playlist, Next one. And it was just so, so easy. And within the space of half an hour, maybe 20 minutes, I I was sitting there going, I love this band. <laughs> because they made it easy. They presented themselves properly. And I could get everything in my in easy reach, you know, of, of what I needed to hear about them. And then it was just a case of going back to them and saying, love this. 
um, I definitely want to talk to you guys and the rest of say is history because we're now working with them. Another thing that I've noticed, uh, which is a kind of similar thing, uh, which you might have some thoughts about, is are there any ways that you've you've noticed that bands could improve their social media with? Yeah, definitely. The thing is, is that you've got to understand, right, I'm not going to get into the mechanics of algorithms and all that, because quite frankly, it bores me and I've got a low boredom threshold. So I have people that understand all that, okay? All I know is, is that Facebook isn't as good as it used to be for reaching people because they're trying to push you down the, the way of having to pay for everything. Um, so I understand that. But if your target audience is 40-year-old 40, 40 people and upwards, then Facebook is still very, very, very prevalent within that age group. So, and it's it's kind of like Instagram is slightly younger, and then TikTok's the youngest, obviously. But you've got to understand what works in each one. And you can't just put the same thing across all the platforms. So I'll give you an example of TikTok. If you wanted to play some of your music, then it's much better to play the music in the background with something funny in the foreground so that the music almost becomes the hook, but it's what you're doing in front. And if you can get people to go, that's great, we're going to use that song and copy it, you know, and do something funny with it or something interesting. You know, one of the recent ones was Where Is The Love with Black Eyed Peas and it was people literally creeping up and other people and scaring them. But it went it went massive, you know. So it's about that. If it's Instagram, you need to think about the age group of the people you're, you're that, that use that and aim what you're doing at it. Facebook is much more... Uh, and YouTube's another one. YouTube, I mean, people think YouTube's the answer, and it can be, but you've got to understand one of the things is, is that unless what you're putting on there is ten, at least 10 minutes long, YouTube doesn't even find it. You know, they will not suggest you to anybody. People will only find you if they actively look for you. So it's, it's get somebody that can tell you all about it and point you. I mean, we've, I've recently taken on a guy for the Foz Music Group. It's a guy called Matt Nathan. And Matt has his own studio. He makes videos and all that. He's a, he's a very knowledgeable guy about social media and about creating videos, music videos. He's a musician himself as well. And he's our artistic director because, quite frankly, it's so important nowadays to get that right that I actually, he actually, his job is to guide our bands. Uh, and he's working with one just now, Carabella, a band from Kent, who are very visual, perfect for TikTok, quirky. And he's working with them on how they present things across the different mediums. And it's that important. So, but if you're not at the stage where you do that, just think about it from the perspective of who's likely to watch this? What are they like? You know, if you go on TikTok and see what's, what people are watching on there, then you need to try and adapt what you're putting out to fit in with that. Because if you just go out there with a, a boring video, this is us in the studio, that's not going to get picked up by anybody on TikTok. You know, that's all right for Facebook. Um, but it's that, it's, and, and take it seriously because quite frankly, if you are putting out something that, that doesn't stay on message or it's stupid, unless you're a band that, that lives in things like that, you know, where that's actually part of the charm, you know, they're a bit out there and et cetera, you can do that. But, you know, think about it. If you don't get a second chance to make a first impression and if that's the first thing that they've seen of you, it might just switch them off you for life. And you've got to be aware of that. Or it could turn the person on, depending on the, the, the approach that the bands have taken, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and again, that's where if you know who your target audience is. So let's say you're a band that you think, 
your people that like clutch, for example, or tool, um, you're going to appeal to that kind of fan. Then look at how they do things and take that as an example. If you're a thrash metal band, look at how the most successful thrash metal bands are reaching out to their to their customers, their fans. In fact, I call them customers because at the end of the day, you're relying on them to make you money. And they are customers. <clears throat> They're not just fans. You know, you have to remember that. Um, so it's all about that, really. It's just about really thinking it through. And here's one I would like to say before I finish on this subject. One of the things that we've learned about every band seems to think now if they put a song out for radio, they then have to create or release it in Spotify or whatever, the other platforms, that they have to put a video out. You don't. Because quite frankly, if you can't afford to do a video and create a video that's as good as the song that you've put out, then don't do it because you're cheapening it. And these lyric videos, I mean, so many of them, people are using them because they're cheaper. They're not that cheap, but they're cheaper than say going out and doing a storyboard one but the thing is is the first thing I do when somebody sends it to me I tell, I watch it with the sound turned off and if it's not engaging as a, a visual piece then it's not doing its job it's actually making it's cheapening the, the track uh, and that's something that, I, that I've found and it's something I'm passionate about now so I'd rather a band if they can only afford one good video in six months then Pick the song that lends itself best to it. Spend the money, you know, whether that song is your best song or the most commercial one or it's just the best one for a storyboard. Then put the money into that rather than thinning it out and putting it across three different songs, for example. I think it, it's, it's one of those things that actually, to my mind, swings both ways in that if your song sounds phenomenal but it looks terrible, that is awful. But then at the same time, if it looks phenomenal, but sounds like it's been recorded on a potato, then you're not you're going to be in a similar situation where it, they don't match each other. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I just didn't, I, I didn't go for that because obviously I was assuming that anybody was going to go to put a video out, they would have they would made sure that the soundtrack was, that the actual sound was good. But yeah, you're right, you're spot on. I've seen that as well. When you go, that video is great, but my God, that, that who's who's mixed that? <laughs> yeah, so it's it's an interesting uh, problem sometimes that I've seen. <laughs> so, um, what are some mistakes that you've seen in the way that bands organise themselves and kind of in the way that they run? I think they just well, the, the biggest thing that tends to happen with any band is there's usually if there's no matter how many people's in the band, there's always one person that seems to do everything. And whether that's because they, they're a control freak or it's just everybody else thinks their job <clears throat> sorry, is, is to um, simply turn up and play music and play the tracks and write songs, then that's that will fail um, because it's too much. You know, even if somebody's the most willing person in the world to do everything, they will fail be quite simply because there's too many things to do. So the big mistake, I think, with bands is they don't share the load. So, for example, if somebody's got an interest in one aspect, so let's say they're actually really good at social media, then just because they may not be the main songwriter doesn't mean to say they couldn't do a great job for you in social media. But you tend to find the person that writes the songs or the singer thinks that they can do everything. And I'm saying that as an ex-lead vocalist, so I'm not nothing against singers. It's just a reality. I can just picture myself if I was doing it now, I'd be a right pain. But <laughs> but um but it's it's that. So that's a big mistake. And the other thing is as well is that the they don't take time to really plan the route through. 
So they just play gigs in the local town and they think they're being successful if all their mates come to see them and they can fill 150 hot, uh, you know, 150 max capacity venue and they keep playing there. But then they don't, re- and then they'll go, well, you know, can I get, can you give me a gig in Bristol? Wait, wait a minute, you're in Leeds. Yeah. And we want to be headliners or we want 150 quid, but nobody knows you down here, you know, and that's the thing. Um, that they just don't plan it out. They just kind of think it's enough to have an image, have some songs, um, be able to put on a show, and that's it. It, it needs to be much more planned. But I know it sounds boring, but as we used to say in the military, fail to prepare, prepare to fail, and that and that's the same in business, and it's same in this. Yeah, I'm I'm a big proponent. I've actually mentioned it on the podcast before. Um, a little advert for one of my previous episodes that having a plan like a six months to a year long plan for every year in that case is a great thing to do and then you can you can have some goals and then at the end of the year you can set some new goals based on your old ones and that kind of strategizing what you're doing is a really great way to go about it yeah and you need to put in your key performance indicators what will success at that level are, you know how do you know you've reached that goal you know how are you going to measure it and if it's like i want to have played in eight different cities across the uk yes we've achieved it but why do you want to play across eight cities to build a fan base so you played against you played in eight cities what was the total amount of people that saw you um about 200 well have you gained any more there really you know is that a good plan how much did it cost you it cost us two thousand pounds to do that you know, it's kind of that. It's you really need to think it through. You know, I know nobody's getting. I, I know nobody picks up a an instrument and wants to be in a rock and roll band to be in business. But even at the most basic level, you need to think about it that way, or else you're just another band that will play to their mates and disappear. And I know because I've been in them kind of bands back in the day when we didn't know enough about this kind of thing, and nobody would tell you. It's a it's a difficult thing for a lot of people in bands isn't it which is i guess why people such as yourselves uh, exist so that you can help bands to progress in those kinds of areas and really make solid uh, choices yeah that's it and you know there's enough of us about that that care and advice you know advice is is there there's plenty in fact it's easier now if you just take the time it's all on youtube it's all in podcasts there's loads of information just find it you just need to, you know, put it in your search engine what you're looking for and it'll come up, you know. So what I'm saying here is no, there's, it's no black magic, you know what I mean? It's no hidden secrets. It's no secret Alexa. It's it's just experience and common sense. But there's lots of people putting, I mean, I listened to one today that um, Brad Marr put out a podcast about why rock music's failing. Um, because it's not moving with the times. And I sat and I, I listened to it tonight, not long ago, and I thought, you know, he's, he's nail on the head. And he's even even that makes me think about what I'm doing with Ford's Music Group. And I'll guarantee you I will alter what I'm doing now because of some of the things he said there. And similarly, when I talk to people in Scouse and the Scott, we're always learning. It's funny because if you watch any of us, you'll see Ian's constantly scribbling stuff down. Because <laughs> Ian obviously is in a band himself. He's in King Voodoo, um, a great band. And uh, but he's he's and afterwards he'll say to me, "I never thought about it that way." And I just says, "You know what, Ian? 
we're doing what we're supposed to do with us because we're learning as well and you're never too late to learn. That's absolutely right. It's never too late to learn. It doesn't matter whether you've, you're, I don't know, 18 and you've started your first band or you're 65 and you're in your fifth band. Keep learning. There's always stuff to find out. And, and yes, it's like, guys, we, we're Forge Ahead Initiative. One of our bands is Sons of Liberty. And Sons of Liberty are all in the 60s, I think. Certainly most of them are. And they are so, they plan everything really, really well. They're a great band for planning themselves, you know. They get themselves around. They're very serious about what they do. But you get the likes of the guys that are there, Fred. And he talked to, he had a seminar with all our young bands that's in the Forge Head Initiative talking about all these things. So there's plenty of people out there that if you think, if you look at them on social media and you like what you see, approach them. Other bands, etc., as well. You know, if you're a kind of in that genre, or you like, or they seem to be, ask them. Most of them will help you out. What is your favourite thing about what you do? That might be a hard question. I don't know. I think there's no one thing. I enjoy working with the people that work with me, and I get up every morning and I look forward to the day. And at the end of the day, I look back at what I've done. Quite often, I can't even say, you know, my fiance will say to me. What did you uh, What did you do today? And it was loads of little things, but all added up to you know, nothing really. You think, in the great scheme of things, or you started with a list that's not going down, but you've been busy as hell all day. But I still got a buzz out of it, and I think that's it really. You know, it's it's in its formative years really. Uh, the first music group's only a year old as an entity, so I think their best times are ahead. Well, I know our best times are ahead of us, but it's I tell you what it is. It's every time I see somebody in social media talking about one of our bands and liking the music or I play it in the radio show or played in somebody else's radio show and people are raving about it and where, why do we not know about this band we, we, we did a, a little feature in the New Wave of Classic Rock Webfest 4 and we were the first at 45 minutes and it was six of our bands and I always remember at the end of it, I think it was Richard Brindley just looked at the camera and went, well who knew and then he says, well, actually, I assume Forge Music Group knew or Forge AMP knew, but who else knew? And that was it because they were taken, he was taken aback by what he was hearing because these bands that I picked weren't uh, our best known bands. They were picked strategically. Actually, they were picked because of where they was being recorded. So it was all, they were all fairly local to that, <laughs> the Chesterfield area. So they're all within easy reach. But, you know, it's when, when you hear people say that, and you see people writing it and you see people go, I can't wait for you to come, you know, like Blitz. They've done so, so well in the last year during lockdown that everybody's clamouring to hear them now. And they brought the best album of 2020 as far as I'm concerned. And I know I might be slightly biased, but when was the last time you heard an album where every single track could have been a single? And and that, you know, and that's what it's about. It's about that. It's just about, and every time I got a message for somebody going, or somebody sends me a rough demo and says, what do you think of this song? I'm like, oh, mate, that's brilliant. That's what it is. But every, it's every day getting up and going, yes, let's go, let's do this. So what has been your personal highlight out of everything that Forge Music Group has achieved so far? Again, probably might be quite a difficult question. It's that people now seem to trust us. And, people, and, and you know, I don't mean that people we work with, but... People are coming to us, bands are coming to us because they've talked to other bands or they like what we say. And it's even people like, you know, everybody that's involved with emerging rock bands, New Wave of Classic Rock, you know, The Real Unknown Scene, all these guys, um, Crazy Cowboy, you know, Alec McKechnie, um, Lee at Push, um, 
I can't remember the name, sorry, sorry Lee, but Lee Graham, and uh, people like that. All the ones that I, like Keith at WDFD, uh, you know, Sean at KOL, all these guys now, I can literally message or they'll message me and we'll help each other out because we're all in it for the right reasons. We're all in it because we love music. And f- from my personal perspective, I enjoy that as much as anything. The fact that I, I truly believe that we can work together and make a big difference and change things. Because the real challenge isn't, to me, about whether Gallo's Circus, sorry Gallo's Circus, you might not want to hear this, but whether they become a million-selling band or whether it's Black Tree Vultures or Blitz. You know, I think the problem is that none of them will, and I don't think any of the bands that are in rock now will either, the new bands, even the ones that are supposedly making it now. They won't because it's too niche a market. Now is, I believe in my 60 years, so let's say I've been listening to music for 45 of them and really knowing what I was doing. The scene, sorry, the bands just now are better than ever. There's more of them. There's better music than I've ever heard. The problem is the market's too small for it. And until we actually start trying to smash that ceiling and trying to break into and attract a young audience. You know, I'm sick of going to gigs and I'm one of the younger ones there and I'm 60 for God's sake. You know, and it's it's like, that's, and I'm not knocking anybody, you know, I'm as passionate about music now as I've ever been at my age. You know, I'm not knocking it at all. But the problem is, is that if we want rock and metal to succeed, then we're going to have to start thinking differently. And we have to, That that's why, and it's people like, I've been talking to Alec McKechnie, you know, Crazy Cowboy, and quite a few others about this, and, and obviously Adam from MMH, I had discussions with him as well, and it's about this next-gen rock. We need to we need to grow this marketplace. We need to get kids, because I'll tell you what, the things that made me want to be in a rock band at 15-year-old or 14-year-old, the only difference is now the youngsters aren't seeing those type of bands. They're not hearing them because it's not easily and readily available. And that's a challenge for us all. 100% agree. Um, for the record, I've seen Gallo Circus a couple of times live and they're amazing. So, Oh, a superb band. But to be fair, I picked them for a reason because they are a band that should be huge. They actually, I, I truly believe they should be huge. You know, but I'm, I'm talking about bands like those don't, those damn crows. I'm talking about Bad Touch. I'm talking about, you know, Gorilla Riot. They all should be huge. It should, be, I just wish to Christ we could have moved them all back to the, to the big festivals in the 70s and 80s because these bands would have made a fortune. But there's nothing to say we can't recreate it, but we're not going to recreate it by living in the past and trying to do everything the same way. And, and that's what Brad Marr's podcast was about today. And I wholeheartedly agree with him. And, don't get me wrong, I listen to that and I've been making mistakes as well because of how I've been thinking about it. So I'm, I'm only being smart after the fact, but, you know, I know it needs to be done and there's a few years know it needs to be done, but it won't be done while everybody just keeps on doing the same old, same old. So finally, where can people find out online what you're doing and everything that's happening with Forge? The best thing to do is to go into the website, which yeah. is www.theforgemusicgroup.com or lowercase. So it's The Forge Music or Group. Or in Facebook, obviously, we've got Forge AMP, we've got Forge and Fire Promotions. Um, we've got, we're on all of them, but if you go to the website, that you can get to anywhere off of that. And each, everything that we do has 
got its own page and you can link to that. You can find the bands. You can even go into them and you can get to their Facebook pages, their Instagram, etc. But they've also all got, all got their own Spotify playlist that you can bring up their best five tracks or most recent five tracks. So it's all on there, really. And all those links, I'm going to try and summarize them all, will be in the show notes of this episode. So if you are listening, you can just click on them away. Included in the show notes will be a link to The Scouser and The Scott. And I've got to say... If you enjoy this podcast, you will enjoy Sagasha and the Scott. It's in a very similar sort of theme. So, John, thanks for being on the episode. Uh, my pleasure, and thanks for having me on, because um, I think that guys like you doing this kind of thing, it, it adds, when you listen back to the, or you listen to what we've just been talking about, it's people like you doing this that's going to help us to break that, that, break that ceiling. So thanks very much, Phil. So... That's it for another episode of the Music Survival Guide. I thought that John had a lot of really good, valuable information to share in there. If you agree, share it with your friends. Let them know about it. Let them hear what John had to say. Please, 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 please give me a review if you can, wherever you listen to the podcast. Even if it's just some stars, I would love it. And I will see you next time.